everyone. Today we're talking to Anne Burgess. Anne is an interdisciplinary installation artist. They are the recipients of many grants, including Guggenheim Fellowship and residencies, including McDowell Colony. They had exhibitions in many places, including MoMA PS1, and has maintained a studio practice at the Elizabeth Foundation for over ten years. Through our conversation, we talked about brainwaves, energy states, a concept named the new physical, and careerism in art. Without further ado, let's get into it. Can you talk about what you are working on right now? I am spending a lot of time in my studio. It's a crazy time right now that way because I have about seven years worth of work that I'm working on. There came a time where I stopped doing what I was doing because I needed to step back and take a look. And sometimes when I step into it, I'm editing or culling. And other times when I step into it, it's、um, it's somehow live again where I forget that I've actually sort of left it. I don't know about you, but I can be pretty much aware of, of the difference in thinking when, say, I'm writing or making an image of some sort. There's a difference in, in the quality of the thinking and the way that thoughts compose themselves. What do you mean by qualities of thinking? I think quality.、Mm, I could liken it to texture. You know, when you take a sieve and you put, say, some soil in it. And you sh- you shake it, and some of the larger ones remain up top, and medium-sized ones filter down.、Mm-hmm. So it's more or less a characterization of a of a set rather than a judgment. Or you could think of it as clusters of thoughts that gather themselves around a particular kind of mental focus. So what you just said actually reminds me of the description of your work on this website. It says how your work is kind of like a solitary expedition into the source of creative flow by accessing the pre-verbal and pre-cognitive mind-body state. Can you talk about that? Um, it could be as a result of my interest in language, and it's a funny thing because the way we define a language—if you read someone like Nelson Goodman, *Languages of Art*. He's very good at outlining exactly what a language is for artists. And, you know, it always gets to a certain kind of syntax and grammar, and these qualifications make it very much about human language. And humans are flying this flag, saying this must be language. But <laughs> if you break it down, it's possible for us to consider language outside of that rigorous sort of narrow definition. I recognize painting as a way to sort of enter the preconscious, preverbal state. So I found it really curious. Decided to pursue that as the next project. So at any rate, while I paint, I still have a clear mind, and what I began to notice day after day is that if I could maintain. A clear mind while I was painting, that words would fall off to such an extent that not only was I participating in like a pre-verbal state, but there were times where I sensed slipping into a precognitive state. I wonder what it is like the precognitive state. That's the question,、mm-hmm. because 
I don't believe there is necessarily a way of saying what it's like because we're reliant upon all of our senses in order to determine what something is like. And I think when you're in a precognitive state, there is no sense or sensibility to report back to a verbal state. Exactly. So, so you don't know, you just are. And I, I think it sort of may represent this, or actually you're participating in what I call the life energy. So it was those states that really were fascinating me. And I've, I thought about my brain waves where I was actually in doing these clearings, slowing down my brain waves. And I suspect that this precognitive state is, is somewhat like dreaming or maybe dreaming happens somewhere between precognitive and verbal right in there. Can you talk about why the M that you chose for yourself, it's this light blue color and it's numbered yeah. 73C5FF. Yeah. Where does that, that come from? arbitrary. Okay. <laughs> but I was trying to approximate a particular color of one of the pencils that I use. The color blue that I first used when I was asked to make a painting became sort of a representative color for the blue voice. And the blue voice color came from this pencil called non-photo blue. Non-photo blue is this pencil that they used photography to print. So, you know, an editor would have a layout to look at with perhaps FPO, you know, for, for position only meant the photo or the artwork would go here. And then in the text of it, um, you could actually, well, you could use that blue pencil for just about anything to make notes on the text, to circle aspects of images, what have you. But when it went under the camera, you couldn't see it. It wouldn't show up in the photograph. And uh, when it came to my name, I've never been really happy with that chunky name, especially when it's paired with the last name. It's very awkward. You do weird things with your mouth. And it's also uh, indicative of a very specific gender. So um, for convenience sake, I just reduced to a lowercase m. And I think on a certain level, humans would say that it's a matter of humility to do that. I would say that it's more a matter of accuracy, that humans have created the ego in order to function in our situation. And yet, in these energy states, there really is no ego. So I have a trace of a self when I resurface, but I'm still keeping a foot in the other wavelength, so to speak. So for me, the blue signifies that I am aware of my place in the universe, <laughs> like a non-photo blue pencil and a lower case for a name. And the name, I guess, would be like a, just a placeholder for self. So what are the questions that you would ponder on a daily basis? Well, I think the one that's, you know, relevant to the current project is that I would ask myself, about these brain states, about altering brain waves, about what resonates and 
what is happening when I resurface into language? And so I ask myself about the nature of thought and the way in which we've chosen to structure our language. I ask myself, why is it that we all operate in a way that's sort of very primitive? We don't really use language and we don't really communicate in ways that acknowledge what most scientists take for granted now about the, the physical structure of the universe. Um, I mean, instinct and intuition is a huge category now and no one's really broken it down at all, right? Because it's hard to, to be broken down. It is. So, you know, to get to photography then, lately I've been taking photographs where I'm thinking a particular thought. And when I'm thinking it, I just take a photograph of wherever my eye is focused. And then when I look at the photograph a week later, I ask myself if I can recall what I was thinking when I took the photograph. I've always done that with objects, like objects contain memories for me. So, you know, we have these phrases, taking a picture or making an image. And I began to consider or ask this question about what is happening when I take a picture or make an image to document what is happening in my brain when I see something. It's the opposite of what we're trained to do usually in a classroom and we're looking at photographs in that critique process, we're trying to bring our attention to shared meaning. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't have enough of it, then it's not a successful photograph. <laughs> Unless it's abstract and that it has its own set of rules that are in the, in another category. So, you know, it depends on which category you're claiming for, um, presentation of, of a photograph. I sent a friend a photograph the other day that was just me thinking the thought I thought everyone would say, well, you're just making it impossible to mean anything except to yourself and, and except if you explain it. But there's a little bit of that that needs to happen right now in order to re reconsider what photography is, what its use is for me personally not photography in the capital P sense. I use cameras, but I, I don't really actually consider myself a photographer. That That's kind of intriguing. You know, when you put an image together, then there is this supposition that you're doing it in order to communicate. So unless you claim that you're breaking off into a strictly visual realm. I mean, I came up with a sentence that's sort of about this and it went like this i use this term the new physical and by new physical i mean a mode of physicality that we could consider operating in that is um less antiquated scientifically as visual artists so the new physical for a photographer is not darkroom okay so it's not it's not recording light as a durable image using photographic film or, or transferring it to a light sensitive material. And that's what we understand sort of in an analog sense about what photography is. But if we switch over to the electronic sense of what photography is, and we think about image sensors, 
We're leaving what we've come to know as the material world and entering what we've known as something that's not material. But of course it is. We're dealing with electricity. So in many ways, the physical, the traditional physical of darkroom is nostalgic. It's something we cherish because it's something that's more easily known and more easily communicated. But when it comes to switching your thought patterns to accommodate your mind to something that is not ordinarily considered physical, but you switch over into that entity, what is that? So the statement that I made that just for pondering, it's really a question is, you know, the new physical isn't darkroom, it's evidence. So in many ways, when we're dealing with photography as medium of film, paper, chemicals, light, that form of material is material evidence. (laughs) But when we switch gears now to the electronic, we become image sensors and we reorient our thinking into energy fields. So that's the kind of the nature of the question I ask about photography is in that realm. So I've been thinking about this relationship between text and art. And text can play so many roles and sometimes it's beneficial and sometimes it's detrimental. When do you think that text crossed this line of being detrimental? That's a good question. And recently what I've been thinking, I've been considering the question of our relationship to text. Let's put it this way for a quick answer. Consider an ineffective text, one that has forgotten the sound it makes. That's very poetic. (laughs) What is an utterance? Well, it's sort of related back to that sifting, you know, and to those clusters that we were discussing earlier. So language, in a sense, can be energy pathway of the mind. Repeatedly visits a certain tone, like ping, ping, ping. And then another one would ping, ping, ping. Two different thoughts, right? But when the occurrence of that thought happens repeatedly, bing, oh, it happened again, bing, you remember that. That becomes a cluster of experience. We give a word to that to remember that cluster of experience, that energy field. You know, I read an article recently about mycelium. I think it was in the Times. And it was saying, wow, mushrooms communicate. They're using a language. And I'm like, well, it depends. Is there syntax? Is there a grammar? You know, but basically they're saying that they have as many as 50 words. So when that frequency hits or that cluster of energy hits, it recognizes it as being a different pattern than 49 other clusters. I like to think of that as our basis in language. So again, it has a very material basis, doesn't it? We could say that language loses its effectiveness the further it gets away from the material source, from the utterance, from our shared frequencies. And we get into this area of human fault, shall we call it, for lack of a better word. There seems to be some sort of snag, shall we say, 
that makes us think that the meta discourse that's happening surrounding that original utterance is in itself the thing. That's where it loses its effectiveness for us as visual artists. So I was reading something that says that the artist's career has become one-dimensional. Like the only way to success in the system is to continue doing big shows, get higher prices, get more media coverage. And you said that you abandoned that whole game years ago. Can you talk about that? I, you know, I, I'd like to think that I abandoned it, but I'm still participating on the outskirts.、Mm-hmm. You can't totally, I suppose, abandon it. Careerism is a game that I, I just don't necessarily have the capacity to participate in. You know, I'm not that sophisticated in. In my ability to socialize to that degree, and I'm not sure I agree with success as being equivalent with the terms that have been laid out for the art game. I think that another way of putting it is to say, given the circumstance of this existence in my current skin bag state, this collection of materials that constitutes itself. What are the skill sets that I have that I am here to use in this moment of this blink of an existence? So when we go back to this careerism and success, I just say you do what you do. This is the end of the episode. If you want to see more of M's work, please visit the link attached in the description.